Welcome into Rocky Talk, the daily Tennessee podcast. My name is Josh Ward. Thank you for being here on today's show as we are halfway through the week, two and a half weeks to go before Tennessee will face off against West Virginia, September 1st in Charlotte. We continue to get closer as Tennessee continues to move through fall camp. The Vols are back on the practice field on Tuesday. Coming up in just a moment, I will have some updates for you from practice as some guys were moving around on the field Maybe positional changes, we'll see what it means, but guys were in new spots. I'll tell you about that from the practice, as well as some health updates on a few notable Tennessee football players. Chris Vanini of The Athletic is going to join the show. Chris is going to talk about Jeremy Pruitt. What he saw in Jeremy Pruitt a few years ago when he was a defensive coordinator, Chris predicted that Jeremy Pruitt was on his way to becoming a head coach. Now what does Chris think as Jeremy Pruitt is Tennessee's coach, plus Those coaches he's going up against in the SEC, Tennessee and Florida, both racing to try to get to Georgia at the top of the conference. Chris Vanini on that coming up in just a few minutes and a renewed rivalry with a major sport at the University of Tennessee. I'll get to all of that right here on Rocky Talk, the daily Tennessee podcast covering what's going on with the Vols. I'm here five days a week, and the show today is presented by TheAthletic.com. TheAthletic.com slash Rocky Talk is where you can go for 40% off a first-year subscription. That's only $2.99 a month. So on Tuesday, Tennessee was back on the practice field after the Vols took a break on Monday. Remember, Tennessee had a big scrimmage on Sunday, and we did see some players that were participating during the individual drills that we were watching at different position groups. Princeton Fant had moved from the running back group to the tight ends. Now, is that because Fant is going to play tight end, or is it because he could be in some kind of H-back role? Remember, Austin Pope is likely going to play some kind of fullback position or H-back within the offense. Eli Wolf could, so could Jay Blakely. Maybe this is a chance to look at Princeton Fant in that role. Kevon Bennett had moved from the defensive line to the outside linebacker position. He's a pretty big player there at the outside linebacker group. Bennett is listed at 266 pounds, and then Dylan Bates was back inside at linebacker. We also saw some defensive linemen moving around. The offensive line was moving players around. And this goes back to something that Jeremy Pruitt talked about Sunday after the scrimmage. He had mentioned guys moving to different spots. And at the time, Jimmy Himes asked him, so are you moving guys from one position group to another? This is what Jeremy Pruitt said about some of the changes they were making during practice with the personnel. Everybody on the offensive line, everybody on the defensive line, linebackers, you know, you got to find ways. Defensive backs, guys play corner, they play safety, star, nickel. You know, linebackers, they have to be interchangeable. Defensive line and offensive line, you have to do that to create depth on your team. So that's something we've been doing uh, the entire fall camp. I mean, everybody does that. So um, to do that, the, the, probably the negative about that is, is you don't play one position all the time. You know, so uh, there's a learning curve, but it usually pays off in the long run. So I do wonder, some of the changes we saw at practice on Tuesday, is that just planning for what if you deal with an injury? Or what if you need to build depth at certain positions? Right now you're trying to find out, hey, could this guy slide over and help out in this kind of role? 
I think that might be the case with some of these guys. With a player like Dylan Bates, maybe it is trying to find the right home for him. But when you're moving guys like Emmett Gooden, Alexis Johnson, Paul Bain, Kingston Harris inside at the nose tackle position, I think part of that is seeing, okay, who can we count on if we need extra snaps from someone inside on the defensive line? Can Drew Richmond play left tackle and right tackle? Could Princeton Fant be a ball carrier? Could he be a blocker in the backfield? I think that's what Tennessee is probably doing with some of these players. Let's see over the rest of this week if guys move back to a previous position group. Also on the practice field on Tuesday, we saw Jawan Jennings getting some work. He did not participate in the scrimmage on Sunday. He's come back from the knee surgery that he had in the spring. He had some kind of hyperextension, we learned, from Tennessee's head coach on Sunday. But Jawan was going through the wide receiver drills. He's still not 100%. We'll see if he scrimmages later this week. But it's a good sign for Juwan to be participating in drills. Darren Kirkland Jr. was held out while we were there at practice. He was off to the side with the strength and conditioning group. So was Chance Hall. So was offensive lineman Eric Crosby. Hall is another player like Juwan. Let's see if he participates in the scrimmage later this week. And we did see Trey Smith getting some work with the offensive line. Again, light contact work during the individual position group drills. But that's still good to see with Trey as he waits to be cleared for full contact. That is expected to happen within the next week, according to Tennessee head coach Jeremy Pruitt. So I want to welcome to the show now Chris Vanini. He covers college football nationally for TheAthletic.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini. And Chris, I appreciate the time. And I remember a comment you made back when Jeremy Pruitt was becoming the defensive coordinator at Alabama, and you had predicted that Jeremy was on his way to becoming a head coach someday, and he is, of course, the head coach at Tennessee. So I wonder, what made you think that at the time, that Jeremy Pruitt was on his way to becoming a head coach, and what do you think now that he has the head coaching job in the SEC at Tennessee? Yeah, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, he always seemed to, in his last few years as the defensive coordinator, really seemed to kind of exude that head coach-type leadership at the various stops, whether it was Florida State or Georgia or going back to Alabama. I know when he went to Georgia, he he personally basically revamped that recruiting operation in there, wanted to get it more like they had it at, at Alabama and at Florida State. And honestly, they could probably rename the indoor facility at Georgia after Pruitt because Mark Richt had tried for a decade to get it. didn't happen. Pruitt makes some public comments about how they need it, and then that basically gets it going, and now Georgia's got an indoor facility. So he always seemed to have some of those uh, characteristics that, that stood out as a head coach, and I'm not surprised uh, after, uh, after the ties he's had that he would land uh, an SEC head coaching job. So what are questions you have now about Jeremy Pruitt? And, and you, can have, you can have the answer be about him, about Tennessee, kind of blend that together, but what do you think now that he takes on that kind of role? You know, I think with anybody, it's got to start with, with personnel, and, and that's going to take a few years, I think, for Pruitt to get the players he wants in there, uh, the style of offense that they're going to run, because it, it always comes down to players no matter where you're at. I mean, that's what Kirby Smart knew when he left Alabama, and he's got Georgia with top five number one recruiting classes coming in. So I, I think with Pruitt, it's going to start with uh, can in, in two years and three years he get the type of roster that he needs to compete at that highest level because uh, he obviously Kirby Smart at Georgia took over a better situation than, than Pruitt has. Um, but 
you got to get players there. Butch Jones showed that you can get top five recruiting classes there. Uh, Jeremy just has to get the right guys in and develop them from there. Yeah, Chris Vanini with the athletic, and that's a big part of it, isn't it? The developmental part. So that'll be the coaching staff, and coaching staffs are expanding, aren't they? With the amount of support staff you can have around, and then of course the strength program, which probably doesn't get enough talk. But how important is all of that? All those pieces that are around Jeremy Pruitt within the program itself. Yeah, I mean, college staffs are, are much bigger than NFL staff these days, especially in the SEC with all the, the recruiting staffers, the player development, the analysts, just about everything. I mean, Nick Saban's basically got a coach rehab program at Alabama with, with Butch Jones now there, with uh, Lane Kiffin, with Steve Sarkeesian, guys who, who go to Alabama to kind of flip their career back. And, and, and Tennessee's got all the resources uh, you would need to do that, and I'm sure – uh, I'm sure Pruitt is uh, looking to expand that even more. Chris Vanini, the athletic, and Jeremy Pruitt is one of several new coaches in the SEC or first-year coaches. Dan Mullen moved from one to the other at Florida. So w- why don't I start there? What do you think of Dan Mullen's situation at Florida, both where the Gators program is right now and projecting forward what you see there with Dan Mullen going back to the school that he was an offensive coordinator at when they won two national titles uh, about a decade ago? Yeah, he was obviously a natural fit for that job, having been there before. And really, it's going to—it's for Florida. I think it always just comes down to quarterback, and it, it's been brutal there for years now. And one thing Dan Mullen has proven time and time again—he's able to find quarterbacks at Mississippi State. Dak Prescott, Nick Fitzgerald—he uh, he knows how to develop that position. He's got Brian Johnson, his former quarterback at Utah in there now uh, also worked with him at mississippi state that's what it's going to come down to in determining the success or, or, or failure of mullen's tenure it's going to be the quarterback position uh it's kind of how it always is at florida and i think there's probably no better guy to figure that out at that job than than dan mullen and yeah and there does seem to be talent that position so as you handicap tennessee and florida how do you look at that race if you want to call it that to try to catch back up to georgia at the top of the sec east and how does the rest of the division affect that? Because South Carolina is stronger than maybe we talked about in the 90s when it was Tennessee versus Florida, Missouri, and Kentucky. Vanderbilt's gotten Tennessee for the last six years. So the the race to the top and then the division overall, what do you think in the SEC and the SEC East? Yeah, I mean, Will Muschamp did, did, quietly did a really solid job last year, and I think there's a lot of reason to be excited about what he's going to keep doing there with Jake Bentley at quarterback. Um, I, I don't know if – I think this is – pretty easily Georgia's division this year, but uh, you, you weren't sure if South Carolina would, would fall off uh, after the end of Spurrier's tenure, but they seem to bounce back under Will Muschamp and the positive sign for them. And Florida, Tennessee, it's going to be two really talented teams and who can get things back on track. I think Dan Mullen with his experience as a head coach, his experience as a head coach in the SEC, probably gives Florida the, the edge right now in terms of Florida, Tennessee, where they shake out in the division. And then on the other side in the SEC, in the SEC West, Chris, Chris Vanini of TheAthletic.com, what do you think of those hires? Jimbo Fisher, the huge contract at Texas A&M, and then Chad Morris and Joe Moorhead getting uh, Power 5 jobs for the first time there in the SEC West at Arkansas and Mississippi State. I understood why A&M hired Jimbo. Uh, I'm not as confident that it's going to work out as maybe the school officials who gave Jimbo a national championship trophy or black or whatever it is, because if you take out what Jimbo did with Jameis Winston, 
it's not that great. It's a lot of nine wins, ten wins. You know, he won some, made some BCS games in a in a, in a, in a kind of down ACC. But Texas A and M, especially for the money they're putting in, you got to be winning eleven, twelve games every year. You know, competing for a much more difficult division title and so forth. So I'm very curious what the standard's going to be for Jimbo there, how much leeway he's going to get. If things aren't going well that first year, how is he going to handle the media attention? There's a lot more a lot more media at A&M than you get at Florida State, and I'm, I'm unsure of how that's going to shake out. And then he's got, what, $70 million guaranteed, crazy, crazy contract. A lot of people raise their eyebrows at that, and we'll see how that plays out. Chad Morris at Arkansas. I'm fascinated by because he's got that. He's got a completely different style of offense than what Brett Bielema did. And I think at a job like Arkansas, you got to be different. Uh, he brings that. He, he's proven on the offensive side of the ball what he can develop. Uh, but they got a lot of problems defensively. And I thought Morris did an okay job at SMU, like not a great job. They, they were a train wreck of a program when he took it over. And he did get them to a bowl game in year three. But for a team with two NFL wide receivers and, and and a bit of talent down there. You kind of thought he might take a little more of a higher step at SMU, but you know, he, he still got those Texas ties at Arkansas. I, I think there's, there's a chance for something to work there. Chris, Tennessee opens the season against West Virginia, and there's a lot of optimism around that, what that offense can be with the receivers coming back, Will Greer, potential Heisman campaign. How much pressure do you think there is though there for Dana Holgerson to have a big season considering the hype that is surrounding the Mountaineers this year. Yeah, I mean, if there was a year for West Virginia to win the Big 12, this would have to be it. Not only because of what they bring back with Will Greer and David Sills and other talent on the offensive side of the ball, but you've got Oklahoma in transition. You've got Texas still figuring itself out. Uh, Oklahoma State transitioning with a new quarterback. So everything is set up for if West Virginia is going to do it, this has to be the year they're going to do it because all these other programs more often than not are going to have more talent than West Virginia. And, and I think early this early in this season, West Virginia's probably got that advantage. So the Tennessee game will be, will be an interesting test to see where exactly this experienced West Virginia team is. I have some questions about West Virginia's defense and what they can do. Uh, they haven't been the same in the last couple of years as they had been a, a few years before that when they were one of the best defenses in the league. So I think this, season ends up coming down to what they can do on defense yeah that's a big part of it if you're looking from Tennessee's perspective what are you trying to do to pull off that upset in week number one to try to beat West Virginia which right now projects is about a 10 point favorite over Tennessee you know it's going to have to be stuff like 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 turnovers really you know field position putting putting setting a team you know behind the change early on make West Virginia go drive on long fields, Tennessee gets short fields. When you're when you're such an underdog like that, especially against an experienced team, you're not gonna line you're you're not gonna just straight up line up and probably beat them. So they're, they're gonna have to have stuff like like turnovers go their way. That that's probably what I would lean on if you're looking for an upset. Hey, last thing and uh, Chris, I'll get you out of here. Chris Vanini with the Athletic. You've covered uh college football coaching, coaching searches for a number of years now. And I'm curious, we see the situation at Ohio State, we see the situation at Maryland where we're starting to see maybe some settlement numbers there. You mentioned the contract that Jimbo Fisher has. How have we gotten to the point that coaches, whether we're talking about head coaches or on down now, have the buyout 
opportunities that they do within the contracts. And do you see that changing any time in the future? Why are we at the point we are right now? Because schools are, for the most part, at negotiating these contracts with, with agents. Schools are getting, I don't know if fleeced is the right word, but you've got coaches with absolutely no leverage, like Annette Orgeron, who's getting a buyout that nobody else is going to offer at Orgeron. Like, so when he got, when, when Tom Herman goes to Texas, Orgeron's the number two guy for LSU. There are not, there are not other, a lot of other schools, especially power five schools, lining up to hire at Orgeron. LSU has all the leverage. Why does Orgeron have a buyout that at the time was, I believe, several million dollars? It, it doesn't make any sense. We've got schools that are so desperate that coaches' agents are just running circles around these administrators and, and, and school lawyers and athletic directors who are, are working these deals. So you've got coaches. I mean, look look at the, the Maryland strength coach resigned and had a settlement with the school Tuesday here. What, why, does the, why does the head coach's head strength coach's contract not make him fireable for cause if a player dies under his watch in a preventable situation? I don't know Rick Court's contract, but that seems like something the school should have leverage over in terms of reaching a settlement. But these schools just are so desperate to make things move quickly that coaches and coaches' agents take advantage of it and get buyouts and huge contracts when a lot of these coaches do not have much leverage nor interest elsewhere. And that's, that's how we kind of get to where we are now, where, where Jimbo Fisher has an insane contract that – I don't know how that's going to work itself out. Yeah, we continue to see them. Follow him on Twitter, at Chris Vanini, and check out his work at theathletic.com, covering all of college football. Chris, thanks so much for the time. Really do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And Chris is one of many great writers at The Athletic. The Athletic has Stuart Mandel, Bruce Feldman, Nicole Auerbach. She was covering the Maryland story on Tuesday. What a serious one that is. They cover what's going on with individual teams. They cover what's going on around the country in college football. They have terrific writers, and that's not only with college football. That's with other sports. Shams was just hired with the NBA coverage. He's one of the best in the business. He is now a part of the Athletics team. In baseball, they have Ken Rosenthal, Jason Stark. The Athletic is a subscription-based publisher of smarter sports coverage for diehard fans. And with The Athletic, when you log on, you don't deal with ads. You don't deal with pop-ups. There are no autoplay videos that crash your computer. It's clean. It's simple. It's easy to use. I've been a subscriber myself to The Athletic for almost a year, and I love it. I've told friends about it, and I want to tell you about The Athletic as well. David Ubbin, who you've heard on this show, he covers Tennessee. They just have great people. They are committed to really good sports journalism, and that's something I think worth supporting. So if you go to theathletic.com slash rockytalk, theathletic.com slash R-O-C-K-Y-T-A-L-K, you can receive 40% off a first-year subscription. That's only $2.99 a month. That's an incredible deal for great sports coverage. Go to theathletic.com slash rockytalk. And before I wrap up today's show, there was pretty big news with Tennessee Athletics on Tuesday. Tennessee and UConn announced that their women's basketball programs will play each other again starting in 2020. They're going to play games in 2020 and 2021, and the deal for them to play was brokered by the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. The first game will take place January 23rd, 2020 
in Connecticut, and it will be during We Bat Pat Week. The second game will be at Tennessee in 2021, and part of the proceeds from the games will go to the Pat Summit Foundation. The Lady Vols and UConn's women's basketball team have not played since 2007, which I've thought is a shame. I, I know that there are reasons why the series went away, but it has been more than 10 years now, and it's just it's one of the great rivalries in sports, and it was a big part of the growth of women's basketball and Tennessee's program has dropped off in the last few years and you hope that Tennessee is back to a higher level when they play in a couple of years and Tennessee does have some talent on campus for that to happen but I just think that it's great for Tennessee and UConn the two most storied programs in women's basketball history to play each other again and I'm glad that the Basketball Hall of Fame has helped make this happen so 2020 it won't be this upcoming season but next year Tennessee and UConn will resume play. I think that's great for everybody. That is going to do it for today's show. Thanks so much for hanging out. If you have any questions or comments for the show, send me a message. You can follow me on Twitter at Josh underscore Ward. I always appreciate hearing from listeners to the show. Spread the word. Tell your friends, your family, Tennessee fans about the show. If you're listening on iTunes, rating and reviewing the show is a big help. Just takes a moment and can help the show grow on iTunes and help other Tennessee fans find the show here five days a week talking about what's going on with Tennessee as the Vols are now only 17 days away from kicking things off against West Virginia on September 1st. Tennessee will practice later today. Tonight we are scheduled to hear from Tennessee head coach Jeremy Pruitt and tomorrow on the show you'll hear from him right here on Rocky Talk presented by theathletic.com. Thanks so much for hanging out today and I'll see you tomorrow. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.